listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. A young person may become very erratic in terms of their mood, and that's all as a result of a concussion. I think it's really imperative that my colleagues get the word out that this may be a result of concussion and that it really should be handled as such. You are in a dark room for as long throughout the day as you can. I was doing up to 10 hours at one point during June and July, and you starve yourself of brain any sort of brain stimulation or activity. The doctors want you to sort of just rest as much as possible. I've had several women clients who've told me that when they were young, they were always told they were clumsy. A lot of what I'm doing with them is getting them confident with their body so they realize they actually aren't clumsy, that that was, you know, they tripped one time, somebody called them clumsy, and now that became their label. It's sort of a, a shifting to feeling confident in how you can move and confident in yourself. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 53, Head Games, airing for the first time on September 16, 2012, on WLOB and WPEI Radio, Portland, Maine. Today's guests include Dr. James Glazier of Coastal Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, Rob McDonald, graduate of Cape Elizabeth High School, and current Harvard University student, and also Deb Arthur, who has her doctorate in physical education and a master's in science, who currently works at The Body Architect. Each of our guests will help us explore the theme of the head and how it intersects with the body, as in mind, body, and spirit. Dr. James Glazier will give us more of a clinical eye and some history on concussions and what it means to have a traumatic brain injury while playing sports or in other parts of one's life. Rob McDonald's going to give us a more personal view of this as he describes an episode that took place during his first year of college while playing rugby, a head injury which certainly had an impact on his own life. And Deb Arthur will really bring the idea of mind and body back around again for us. We hope that you enjoy our show today. Please let us know what you think. Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is pleased to be sponsored by the University of New England. As part of our collaboration, we feature a segment we call Wellness Innovations. This week's Wellness Innovation focuses on head injuries. As interesting concussion rates and prevention strategies at all levels continues to grow, one population that appears to have increasing head injury rates is collegiate football players. Research presented recently at the American Orthopedic Society for Sports Medicine's annual meeting in Baltimore highlights that the concussion rate in three college football programs has doubled in recent years. 
The increase comes after a 2010 NCAA concussion management initiative that requires athletic programs to report concussion signs and symptoms and then remove players from play. For more information on this wellness innovation, visit doctorlisa.org. For more information on the University of New England, visit une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. In my medical practice, I've seen recently um, a rise in head injuries from younger patients, which I found somewhat disturbing. And this was one of the reasons we thought it was important to bring in a sports medicine specialist and have a conversation about head injuries as part of our head game show. So today we welcome Dr. James Glazier of Coastal Orthopedics, who is a sports medicine specialist and actually um, someone that I've had a longstanding relationship with as a fellow family practice um, trained physician. So thank you for coming in and joining us today. Thanks, Lisa. Happy to be here. James, tell me a little bit about your background, first of all. I think people are interested in the fact that you are a sports medicine specialist, and yet you are trained in family medicine. That's right. There are a number of different paths to become specialized in sports medicine right now. Uh, in general, we have people who do primary care sports medicine or non-operative sports medicine, and that's what I do. You can get a residency in any of a number of different medical specialties. Family medicine is a big one, but we have sports medicine specialists who are pediatricians or emergency room doctors as well, some internal medicine, medicine specialists. After your residency program, you go on to do specialized training in sports medicine, and some of my colleagues continue to do primary care. Others of us just specialize in sports medicine and really focus on teaching and training um, and treating athletes. And at the Maine Medical Center, there is a sports medicine fellowship now. There is. We're very fortunate in Maine to have a fellowship training program. It's been around for a number of years. They train two fellows a year, and I was a faculty member there for six years before going into private practice. As the mother of three children who play sports, I've noticed on the sidelines over the last maybe 10 years uh, an increasing number of professionals supporting the teams. I've noticed that we now have physical therapists and trainers and even physicians on our high school fields working with our athletes. How do you feel about that? I think that's a great thing for Maine. And as a matter of fact, there was just a law passed in May by the Maine legislature about concussions. And one of the things that that law mandates is that people be a little bit more active in evaluating kids and pulling them out of games immediately if they think that they have a concussion. I think that one of the things that has motivated that law is a recognition of the fact that concussions are very prevalent. But another thing is that here in Maine, we've had really great community support for having trained medical professionals with our kids, protecting them on the sidelines, and making sure that if there are any injuries, they're assessed and treated pretty quickly. Why are concussions or head injuries on the rise in kids' sports? I think that's a great question, and that's something that researchers are doing a lot of investigation into right now. One of the main things that I think we're seeing now is increased awareness. 
So whereas 10 years ago, a kid might have had something that his coach termed a bell ringer and just shrugged it off, now we recognize that that actually is a concussion and that it's very important to take advantage of an opportunity to uh, educate the athlete, to educate the coach, and to treat it appropriately so that we don't see long-term problems as a result of repeated small concussions. Does this have anything to do with, say, Muhammad Ali or some of the other um, boxers that are out there who have had this sort of repeated traumas and are now showing up with Parkinson-like symptoms? Absolutely. There, there's a range of medical conditions that are more long-term and neurologic in nature that we're now recognizing may have to uh, have to do with long-term effects of repeated concussions. And we've seen football players in the news recently, a rash of suicides that uh, there's investigation going on right now to find out if those were related to the long-term effects of concussion. What sports put athletes at highest risk for concussions? You know, it, it's, that's a really interesting question because I think if you asked most doctors 10 years ago, they would have said that the male sports dominate. And there are some uh, predominantly male sports, like football, that have very high rates of concussion. But interestingly, if you look at the statistics, female sports are on the rise and not far behind their male counterparts in terms of the frequency of concussions. So soccer is a big dangerous area. Uh, both men and women's hockey players are at risk for concussions. And we see concussions in sports like lacrosse as well, both for uh, girls and boys who are playing it. Now you described the risk of suicide. What other things do you see as a result of a child getting a concussion? One of the really devastating effects of concussions has to do with uh, the effect that it can have on, uh, on a kid's progression through school. So I often see athletes who have had a lot of trouble catching up in school, have had trouble with concentration. Sometimes there are some pretty profound mood changes where, where a young person may become very, um, very erratic in terms of their mood. And that's all as a result of a concussion. Oftentimes, these symptoms aren't recognized early. And so you can you see kids out there who are really depressed, who are really having trouble in school, sometimes three, six, or nine months after a concussion. And I think it's really imperative that uh, my colleagues and, and um, other people who are interested in this subject get the word out that this may be a result of concussion and that it really should be handled as such. Is there a way to test for cognitive function? There are a number of different tests that are used. One of the widest used tests right now in Maine is called the impact test, which is a little bit of an unfortunate name. Um, but it's a computerized concussion test. It's used primarily by sports medicine specialists like me to determine when an athlete is ready to get back to playing. So not so much as a way to diagnose a concussion, but as a way to make sure that once the symptoms are all clear, that the athlete's brain is really functioning the way it was before the concussion. All three of my kids play soccer, and I've seen people wearing these bands around their heads. What do you think about these bands that theoretically are supposed to be preventive as far as heading the ball and preventing concussions? I get questions about those bands and other kinds of protective gear often. The 
we all want to find something that is going to protect our kids from concussions. And so there's a lot of interest in mouth guards or helmets or bands or other kinds of things. The very frustrating thing from my point of view is that there really isn't any research that supported that. As we look at, at large number of, numbers of athletes who are using this protective equipment over, um, over a number of athletic contact hours, uh, they don't seem to protect against concussions. So generally what I say to parents is that there's no evidence that it's going to help, but there's also no evidence that it hurts. And so in some situations with some kinds of impact, it may confer a little bit of protection, and, and for many parents that's worth it, and they go ahead and use them. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. The Body Architect was founded on the belief that mindful exercise improves the health of the mind, body, and spirit. Housed in an open, light-filled space in Portland, Maine, The Body Architect offers a cutting-edge fitness center, expert personal trainers, nutrition counseling, and a full class schedule. Visit thebodyarchitect.com or call 207-774 2196 and get started with the body architect today. As you know, the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is focused on the mind, body, and soul. Sometimes our bodies are giving us a little indication that maybe things aren't quite right. Here to talk to us about some particular things that we can listen to when our bodies are acting up is Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. Today's diagnosis is medial epicondylitis. Dr. John? Uh, medial epicondylitis uh, commonly goes by golfer's elbow. That means where you're really sore right on the inside part of your elbow. Uh, we treat that again with ultrasound to diagnose it, sometimes cortisone, sometimes PRP, or conservative measures, but we have a high uh, uh, healing index utilizing the simplest treatment possible. And you can have more information on that by calling 781-9077 or type on to orthocareme.com. If you have a child that has suffered a concussion, what types of treatment options are there available? Well, it's important that we now um, have been able to break out of the main paradigm, which I think has been... Uh, present in the medical field for years and years in terms of treating concussions, and that's just relying on rest. Concussion research is a rapidly advancing field, and for the people who do a lot of concussion work, there's new recommendations coming out all the time. So I usually talk to parents and athletes about two cornerstones of rest, one of which is athletic rest, and that's something that we're all pretty familiar with, that you, have, you can't go to practice, you can't play sports. But what I think you'll find over the next five years is that we really f are discovering that cognitive rest is much more important in some, in some ways than athletic rest. So protecting your child from cognitive exertion, protecting your child from going to school all day and, and coming home with a headache. Every kid is different and every concussion is different, so some of them are able to go right back to school and to study and do fine, but the important thing is not to ignore symptoms as they appear. There also is an emerging area of research around using medications for concussions. 
that's medications aren't the rule they're not necessary in every case but in some athletes who have had pretty severe symptoms that have been persistent for three or four weeks medications can really be important in helping them get over that hump and, and get better and what type of medications are you talking about the medications that have been most widely researched at this point and are most widely used are types of antidepressant medications uh, selective serotonin uptake rehibitor, uh, inhibitors are one of the kinds of medications that most people are familiar with and have been used and are safe in kids. Um, tricyclic antidepressants are also used often in, in concussion situations and they work really well to help kids get better from some of the cognitive and uh, headache symptoms that they'll often feel. There's a growing body of research looking into stimulant medications as well. Uh, many kids have trouble concentrating and, and they have symptoms that are very similar to ADD after a concussion and so some people are using those kinds of medications. I think it's very important though before any parent uh, sees their child go on medication to be sensitive and thoughtful about this and really be sure that you ask your physician all the questions. Make sure that you're working with a physician who's pretty comfortable not just with concussions but in the use of these kinds of medications. Uh, I always recommend that in any kind of medication that we use that's changing the neurochemistry of our brains. So what, what is it about um, a head injury or a concussion that leads to depression or leads to a change in emotional um, response or behavior? I mean, I've, I've saw this all the time when I worked in the county jail and people would come in after a head injury, they would have a complete personality change. I mean, we, I, it's, it's very clear that this happens, but tell me a little bit about the sort of physiology behind that, if you can. Well, I'd like to be able to, but this is something that's a, a, a very hot area of study right now, and so we don't really understand all that goes into it. One thing that has become clear over the last few years is that if you look at the neurotransmitters that are present in the brain and the, and the relative levels of each neurotransmitter, a concussed brain tends to look very similar to the brain of somebody who has clinical depression. And so there, there's something in the physiology of the brain that, that's mimicking that depressed state, and so some of the symptoms, obviously, are also congruent. It's probably one of the reasons why some of these medications are so helpful in helping athletes get through these tough periods. Do you have any favorite resources for parents or coaches about concussions, um, concussion prevention, treatment? The, there is a, um, there's a website from this, through the CDC that shows, uh, it has a lot of information about concussions. It's very helpful for parents. Um, but like many complicated issues in medicine, uh, this is one of those things where every case is so unique and every case is so individual. I really, I, I encourage parents to read as much as they can um, and as much as they want to, but I also encourage them to go and talk with their physician because what you read on the internet uh, so often is, is very helpful but may not line up exactly with uh, your own individual situation. And one of the things that I think it's important for all of us to recognize is that concussions, a concussion in a 10-year-old is really different from a concussion in an 18-year-old. And a lot of the stuff that we're reading on the internet these days is not necessarily tailored for those younger kids. So we have to, we have to recognize that it's a, it's a very different situation depending on how old your child is uh, and how severe the concussion is. And sometimes 
I see some unique aspects as well related to family history or, or the individual athlete's concussion history. So it's a complex topic. It's good to educate yourself, but um, don't forget to ask questions and, and bring a list of, of inquiries to your doctor as well. If people are interested in finding you, where would they find you? Um, you can find me at uh, Coastal Orthopedics. Um, if, you, if you Google for Coastal Orthopedics in Maine, uh, you'll come up with our website. We have directions to my office and a little bit of information about me and my partners as well. Well, we've been speaking with Dr. James Glazier from Coastal Orthopedics on our head game show. I really appreciate your coming in and talking to us about this very important topic. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. A chronic ache, sleepless nights, a feeling of something being not quite right. You can treat the symptoms with traditional medications and feel better for a little while and continue on with your busy days. But have you ever stopped to consider the what that's at the core of a health issue? Most times it goes much deeper than you think, and when you don't treat the root cause, the aches, sleeplessness, and that not quite right feeling come back. But they don't have to. You can take a step towards a healthier, more centered life. Schedule an appointment with Dr. Lisa Belisle and discover how a practice that combines traditional medicine with Eastern healing practices can put you on the right path to better living. For more information, please call the Body Architect in Portland at 207-774-2196 or visit doctorlisa.org today. Healthy living is a journey. Take the first step. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the important link between health and wealth. To speak more on this topic, we have Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. One of the most interesting topics in personal finance is the field of behavioral economics. Using research into the mind, scientists are finding out how we make decisions about what we value. For instance, studies show the fear of loss is two times as powerful a motivator as greed. What this means is that it takes us so long to overcome a recent bad experience that we often miss the next opportunity due to procrastination or overreacting. The role of a coach is to help you overcome this tendency in many areas of life. Whether it's your health or your wealth, enlist the help of a coach before making your next big decision to get another perspective. If you don't have one, then give me a call. It's Tom at Shepherd Financial, 847-4032. Earlier in our show, which we've titled Head Games, we spoke with Dr. James Glazier about the impact of concussions on children. Now, I have in front of me a person who, well, at one point was a child. He's clearly a very big person now, but he has experience with concussions. This is, um, and I thought it'd be really important to bring on Rob McDonald, graduate of Cape Elizabeth High School and also student at Harvard University, to talk about the impact of concussions on his life, because it's more significant than I think many parents would think, and it's definitely something that I think maybe coaches need to be paying attention to. So thanks for coming in and talking to us today, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, concussions are 
like my baby right now. I'm really passionate about them. So. Well, let's tell people who are listening, what has your experience been with concussions? Tell us, where, where did this whole story begin? At Harvard, I was playing rugby and I, I joined the team earlier. I, jo- I joined the team in the fall and I knew concussions were almost part of the sport because a lot of guys come in having played American football and so they're used to like, you know, really getting in there with the tackle, getting their head in there, which is, you know, not so much how rugby tackles are usually supposed to go. But so I knew concussions were part of the sport. And then in April, I got my first concussion and um, did, you know, the dark room rest, which is what doctors prescribe afterwards uh, that you're supposed to do. And then sort of felt like I was okay. And then, you know, it was sort of feeling normal for a few weeks. And then my cognitive function ended up being um, a little lacking, so I ended up not being able to take finals in the spring, and so I didn't finish out the semester. And I have to. Ta- I'm actually taking those those finals as medical makeup exams um, this coming October, um, and so yeah, con- my concussion has totally just been a really weird experience for me, and also really hard too because, you know when you get a concussion, it's not just that you can't play sports for two weeks, which a lot of guys have, but a lot of times it's like your your ability to think, your ability to make connections between thoughts, your ability to, you know, your short-term and long-term memory even um, can be really affected. So uh, that's, um, so I mean, even since April, I'm still recovering from my concussion and it's now early September. Um, and doctors have said, you know, I could be recovering for a couple more weeks or I could be recovering for a couple more months. So they don't really know um, exactly how long things will be. And so, yeah, that's been my experience up till now. And it's been uh, pretty tough, but also something that's, you know, sh- it's, it sort of showed me a lot about, like, um, myself, even in a lot of ways. So, Well, tell yeah. me, so you were a high school athlete. You played golf and soccer and baseball right. at Cape Elizabeth yeah. and did combinations you of those combinations <laughs> of those throughout yet and you played them pretty aggressively yeah. I mean I remember because you played um, against my son Campbell who right. was at Yarmouth at the time he played soccer and baseball against him and I remember you know you were out there just like Campbell full force like most kids your age um, but you didn't have this experience with concussions before is that correct Right, that's correct. I never had an experience with a concussion. My only experience with concussions was, you know, I had friends who were similarly athletes and they had gotten concussions and it was usually like a two-week thing. You're sort of, for two weeks, your impact test scores, which is the baseline concussion test that I think every athlete in the state of Maine takes now. Um, and if you have like a ding in, if you get hit in the head or you're, you're feeling woozy after a play, then a lot of times the athletic trainer or one of your coaches will sit you out for the rest of the game and then you'll take the impact test again. And if, you're, um, if there's any sign of a concussion, the impact test I think almost always picks it up. So a lot of times what happens is concussed athletes will have a few weeks where they'll, their impact scores will be lower. And then as soon as the impact scores are back, coach will put them back in and like that's fine that's that's how most concussions work um so that was my experience with concussions in high school and until I had mine I I didn't really understand it it's it it can be a lot more than just those two weeks of you know resting and recovering it can be totally different so well tell me about what it was like in the weeks well tell me what it was like when you first got your concussion what did that feel like how was that 
how were you doing as you were coming off the field? Yeah, so um, when I first got my concussion, I just, I pretty much knew right away. I got, I was going in for a tackle and a guy was kicking his knees up really high. It was a, it was a much bigger guy than me. So, you know, I'm, I'm you know, 5'11", so, but pretty stocky, but, you know, there are a lot of really tall guys and big, big dudes. I was playing against a big Canadian team, so they were tough, but, um, I got hit in the side of the head with his knee when I was going in to tackle him, and I pretty much knew right after I got up off the ground. I was like, okay, I feel really woozy. It's almost like your eyes go out of focus, and you can't, so there's like a lot of, uh, there's definitely a lot of um, physical symptoms you can immediately feel. So, uh, so I went off the field, and... So when they, they talk about having your bell rung, it really felt like you yeah, had your absolutely. like your bell was rung. Yeah, you don't see point. stars or anything. It's not like you go into a new universe, but like... You definitely feel that something's going on, and like they, they talk about it on the on the rugby on the sidelines as um, someone's got a concussed look. Like you can, they look a little, they just look dazed. Okay, so you yeah. came off the field, and tell me what happened right then, and what happened subsequent to that. So right then, um, they checked me out a little bit. Uh, one of the trainers who was there, and they just want uh, essentially what they wanted to make sure is that I remembered. You know, having woke up that morning and gotten breakfast and having come to the field and warm up, warmed up. Um, that's the big concern, I think, for a lot of people is if they forget the portions of the day up until their concussion, then they can have some serious damage. I also didn't lose consciousness, which a lot of people do during the concussion. And But I think that they found out that um, losing, con like losing con whether or not you lose consciousness doesn't necessarily affect how your how severe your concussion is going to be. Um, that there are other factors. I mean, it's tough to, tough to say what those factors are, of course. But there are other factors that'll play into um, the length of recovery time. And did the trainer pull you out of the game for the rest of it, or give you any recommendations at that point? Yeah, it was pretty much understood that I wasn't going back into the game. I mean, I, w I wouldn't have put myself back in or allowed the coach to do that. Um, and so, yeah, it was basically just you know rest up here on the sidelines, um, and then. That was on a Thursday, and then after that weekend, I went to um, the University Health Services there, and they said he's definitely showing some uh, symptoms consistent with a post-concussion. Um, and of course, all the nomenclature and all the different uh, terminologies that go into a concussion are so different, so they didn't know exactly how to call it because post-concussive syndrome is this other thing, which I learned about later, which is, you know, so with concussions, 90% of people have that two-week concussion period. I think that's the statistic. So they, they have it for about two weeks or up until a month, and they're covered within a month. And the other 10% of people, um, it's, it's either a month to three months in which they diagnose post-concussive syndrome, which, you know, there's this whole tension, there's this whole uh, controversy in the medical community, like, can you even call it a syndrome? Because the, the nature of post-concussive syndrome is that almost everyone is has a unique, different recovery time, and they don't exactly know how long it's going to be or how exactly they can treat it. This is my experience with the with it, so it might not be everyone's. But um, so yeah, so people who have those really long uh, concussions have post-concussive syndrome. And and did so, they give you that diagnosis after you had spent a few weeks and weren't really getting quite back to your normal self? This is actually I got this diagnosis when I came home to Maine. So I got the I got the concussion in April. Well, didn't get the diagnosis until around. June, July, because they, they don't really, they can't really call it until then, um, because you could always get better. Um, so, and for some people, like, wake up one morning and just immediately feel better. And for me, 
the, sen- the, the sense is it's just going to fade out. And so Dr. Dr. Bill Hines, who is a he's an orthopedic surgeon at Orthopedic Associates, who I've seen a bunch of times, uh, um, said that, yeah, we're probably looking at post-concussive syndrome here. So tell me about what was happening between April and June. I mean, it sounds like it was significant enough so that you couldn't concentrate on your studies, so that it wasn't possible for you to finish your classes. Immediately after the concussion, I was I did I, I couldn't go to classes because I just um, immediately after I was so fatigued, sleeping about you know fourteen to sixteen hours a day, um, and then ended up as, as I said I'm not taking my final exams. And then once I got home, I, I thought you know like I'll get home, I'll be out of the school environment, like I'll be at my house, my parents will be able to like you know bake me meals instead of having to go to a dining hall and whatnot. Um, but then I, I sort of thought that the concussion was fading out, and then I ended up like a month later after you know I was working. I, I worked at um, a company here in Portland and was doing sort of low intensity work, but still work. So getting up early in the morning, um, and just had a relapse one one night and ended up having these horrible migraine symptoms. And I started to get a lot of pressure uh, throughout my face, and I was pretty upset actually because I thought I'd been getting better and then I know a lot of people who have concussions feel this way is they'll they'll sort of be counting down the days until they're getting better or will think you know they'll be super optimistic like you know I'm I'm almost there I'm almost there which after a long you know multiple month period of being injured especially in your brain can be can be really difficult once there's like a setback that you have no setback for reasons you don't understand or that you can't pinpoint um so, yeah, after that relapse, I, I essentially did dark room rest, um, which is a prescription a lot of doctors will give people with a, concussions, especially long-term concussions. So what does that actually look like? What is dark room rest? Dark room rest is, I mean, it's actually sort of, sort of similar to sensory deprivation torture. But, um, <laughs> and what you do is you are in a dark room for as long throughout the day as you can. I was doing up to 10 hours at um, one point during June and July. Um, and you starve yourself of brain, any sort of brain stimulation or activity. So no, you know, obviously no, no screens, no phones, no reading, no music. I, I would play a little soft music once in a while just to sort of, you know, create some new space, I guess. Um, no, it can even listen to like a book on CD, you know, anything, because I was concerned and that I would be, uh, that I was, you know, stimulating my brain too much, and they just sort of, you know, the doctors want you to sort of just rest as much as possible. Of course, though, then when, when you're, like, thinking about stuff, and you, it's a very stressful environment, even though you're doing nothing, essentially, um, and it, it can be tough, and you, uh, um, so and I ended up after, after about a few months of doing that, um, of going on to, I went down to Master General Hospital to their uh, concussion clinic that they have down there, one of the best in the country, and they put me on a more aerobic-based plan. So the the idea was to get the blood flowing to my brain, doing I, I, doing a lot of like cardiovascular work to get my body back in shape. Of course, I've been essentially vegetating for the last two months, so I was definitely out of shape. And with that, I did I started to do a lot better. Um, even if you know I'd go in with a headache and I'd come out with a headache, they said. If the headache is about the same intensity, then that's that's okay. That's good. Um, if it gets worse, you know, be careful. If it gets too much, way much, way too much worse, um, you want to stop. 
Um, and so essentially I did a gradually increasing aerobic routine, um, doing a lot of running on the elliptical machines, um, which are good because they minimize impact to the head and ended up just making a pretty good recovery after that. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. So what was it like to spend, to go from being a college student, well, first of all, let's just back up. So you obviously did well enough at Cape Elizabeth that you got into Harvard and you went on and you were a college student and your life was sort of progressing along a path. You just kept working hard, nose to the grindstone. All of a sudden you kind of get smacked upside the head and you go, your life gets completely <laughs> turned around and you're laying in a dark room and you're not working and you can't study and you can't exercise. What was that like? It's pretty crazy actually. Um, so throughout high school and into my freshman year of college, I always had sort of progressed in a straight line, step by step, you know, doing this and that, building up a strong resume. Um, you know, I never really had, I, I was always just very uh, studious and very focused in a lot of ways. Um, and so with the concussion, I was just, it was like a total, maybe step back for a second. And everything was different around me. Um, my whole life seemed to be different. Um, and it was like, this is, for me, it, was, it felt like it wasn't part of the sort of vague plan that I had for myself. And so now I'm taking a year off from school, um, gonna do some work hopefully in Maine and then hopefully travel and study abroad, um, which is something I would have, I'd always sort of figured I'd like to do, but might not have actually gotten in the process of planning if it hadn't been for such a, an event as this. Um, so there's a silver lining is yeah, what you're absolutely. trying to there's say. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a silver lining. But, you know, going from super active, you know, always, you know, very social, hanging out with my friends and all that stuff um, in my life at college uh, to essentially over this, to essentially losing my summer to the concussion and the recovery. And, you know, it wasn't just like if you had torn your ACL or something. I know friends who have done that and had to get surgery over the summer and they're essentially you know couch potatoes over the summer is what they have to be but you know at least they get to watch every season of Breaking Bad I wasn't able to do that I was sitting in my room uh, just hanging out with my thoughts essentially and so it was that was really hard in a lot of ways for me but it also um, you know I went from doing a thousand things at once to doing zero so I think in a lot of those two extremes, hopefully I can, I can find sort of a, a medium between those. And I think so in a lot of ways, the silver lining, you're right, there was a silver lining and it was probably a good thing for me to do, just sort of decompress for a long time since I never really decompressed or rested, give myself my brain uh, any sort of rest in my life. So um, yeah, it was really hard, but probably now will be, probably later on 10 years down the road, I'll look back and be like, that was something I, I needed at that sort of time, so. 
It sounds like you've um, worked through a lot of things. You're still, I know, going down to New England Rehab and doing work with them. I know you're, you have upcoming exams and you're thinking about the next year. Are things feeling brighter for you now? Absolutely. Since my concussion, um, it sort of, I did a lot of reflecting and a lot of thinking about what's next, especially after experiencing, you know, this sort of, this very intense, um, difficult situation that I, that I experienced, um, this past summer. And it sort it, 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 it actually made me, um, appreciate everything about just life in general a lot more, um, and about like where I'm at and, some of the opportunities that I have, even just this year, um, hopefully looking into studying abroad and having, you know, experiences there. And um, yeah, it's been, I mean, I feel a lot better about that. And I feel a lot better about the situation. So it definitely, I had a really difficult summer, but I, I actually used to joke about, you know, got my, one of my buddies who is doing like the like a Knowles India course which is supposed to be the most difficult Knowles is the out national outdoor learning service one of the most difficult uh, hiking court like um, trips that like people can do and I, I was joking with him I was like I probably had a, more, a, a, a similarly difficult summer just as you did you know yours was more physical mine was mental and I just sort of um, come to terms with this with the fact that like my I felt like my whole life had been almost thrown off course and I was I didn't um, like I, I didn't know how I was going to overcome this injury, and it's it's really it's gonna be a really scary feeling, especially if you know I was all I've always been very into you know school and very studious and into you know uh, uh, debating people, and I felt like I couldn't do that at all, and it, it's a really scary feeling. You're like, well, that's like what I do, you know? I like, you know, I process information and I talk to different people, and you know, it was just it was really scary. So it's, it's but now you know I've, I've, I've I'm sort of learned to really appreciate that because especially I was talking to that, that football player, the Harvard football player who's currently going through a concussion. He says that when he's in the locker room, um, he can sort of feel that pregame intensity that everyone has um, in a locker room before a game. He's like, man, you guys should really cherish this. Like, like this is really a pretty special thing. And just every, he said, the way he thinks of it is every single snap, like is, it's a gift. Like then you get to go out and play football with your buddies and you know fight with your team. It's it's an important thing and like I think about it in a very similar way. I think um, so. Definitely the concussion is though difficult, giving me like a new perspective. So it's been it's been okay actually. Well, I appreciate your coming in and talking to us. I know that it's not always easy to sit in front of a microphone um, <laughs> and kind of share your story, and especially a story that's as intensely personal as this. Um, it sounds like you've learned and experienced a lot through this really interesting and strange twist of fate. So you're 19 now? Yeah. Yeah. As a 19-year-old, there aren't as many people who could do this and come in and speak with us with the type of... Um, mindfulness and um, thoughtfulness that you have. So we really appreciate talking to you about all of this. Um, we've been talking with Rob McDonald, Cape Elizabeth High School graduate and Harvard student who recently has undergone this concussion. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. It was definitely a good experience even being here. Hopefully I can uh, uh, reach some people who have gone through a concussion or are currently going through one, or if, maybe if they will in the future. So thanks a lot. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. 
Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And by Booth, Accounting and Business Management Services, Payroll and Bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. As part of our head game show, we are spending time with Deb Arthur, who happens to have a lot of experience both um, in her head and in her life with sports and sports medicine and personal training. She actually has a doctorate in physical education and a master's in science. Um, so she's well-versed. She knows all about the academics behind sports. We thought we'd bring her in and talk a little bit about what she knows, her mind-body connection experience, her own personal experience with all of this, and um, just see where this conversation goes. Thanks for coming in, Deb. Thank you for having me. So, Deb, first of all, what does it mean to have a doctorate in physical education? What type of education is required? What, what's the coursework and the background? At Springfield College, it's considered a generalist degree, so we actually get a taste of a lot of different things, from exercise physiology to psycho psychology to uh, management. Um, and I chose to focus in the area of sports psychology and measurement, um, and have found it actually to be incredibly useful. Kind of wish I knew that stuff when I was a competitive athlete myself. Um, very, actually kind of basic stuff, but really useful in life in general, and especially particularly in athletics. Well, I want to ask you about the, the sports psychology and, and measurement, but tell me about your experience as a professional athlete. Okay, well, not professional, though. That would have been nice. <laughs> um, I, was, uh, I trained in Boston. When I was at UMass Amherst for, as an undergraduate, I uh, played soccer, and then I got into rowing crew. And was invited to development camps, national team development camps, so I decided that it was something I loved and I continued it even after college. I went to Boston, rode on the Charles River, and trained for national team. And um, for me and for all of us that were training, um, it was our life. It was everything. We worked so we could row. And um, the mindset as an athlete was to push as hard as you can and basically shift your mind away from your body. When you row crew in particular, incredibly uncomfortable and painful when you're racing. Your legs are burning, your chest is burning, and so you learn to separate from yourself so that you can keep going. Um, and not that it's all bad, making it sound all bad. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a rhythm in the body that, you, I mean, in the body and in the boat that you get into and you just try to flow with that and that's pretty amazing but initially you really have to kind of separate so um, I would there was times I would get out of the boat and I'd have cuts all up my leg from the boat didn't even notice it while I was rowing and uh, so it's 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 over time as I've gotten older that I've kind of shifted away from that separating from what's going on in my body and coming back into my body and realizing how important it is don't know, it's, it's sort of be an interesting concept to know if we could teach that to athletes. Um, but that's probably another topic. But um, so that's that experience of being really separate from my body in order to achieve excellence 
and now coming back into body so I can be tuned into what's right for my body and what's safe and um, what's comfortable is a really different kind of experience. So sports psychology and measurement. Sure. What, what are you measuring? Um, measurement was is it's it's measuring psychological variables. So what our focus was in my program was to create psychological tools, not for diagnosis of any kind of mental illness, but for measuring motivation. Uh, persistence was a, a new topic at the time. My focus was on per- perceived physical self-confidence. Thank you. And so my, I, what I did, I was focusing on kids at the time. My theory was that girls tend to have really low sense of self-confidence in their physical selves. And so I, was, I, was created, I created a measuring tool that, where I looked at boys and girls and compared how they perceive themselves physically. And so that was, that was where my focus was at the time. Why did you become interested in that? Um, I was always interested in body image and athletes and um, particularly interested in in how females uh, feel about themselves physically because we live in a culture that does not, that that really promotes physical appearance as how women uh, value themselves. And so I was curious to look at um, the factors that influenced girls in particular, it tends to be self-appearance. But um, I was interested to see if we could somehow change their perception of their physical self through physical activity. Now, I didn't go far, far, far with this research. I just really did the basic doctoral work, so it wasn't. I didn't take it with me and and try to make a change um, in young girls. But it was that was my interest at the time was to create that tool so we could create a tool to measure perception. Did you, did you become interested in, the, in that in part because you have your own daughters? I didn't have my daughters then. Um, I think just being an athlete and knowing how that benefited me and um, knowing how when I was when I was a young girl um, this is kind of going into a different direction a teeny bit but physical education was boys and girls and we were separate and then title nine came and everything became United, And so it was really hard as an elementary school kid to start playing with the boys because they were stronger and faster. And I just remember I was always the superstar. And then when I had to play with the boys, I was no longer the superstar. So my sense of self and my sense of physical ability kind of was shot down a bit just because in comparison to the boys. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. So you saw a shift before and after. This was this. I did. I was very aware of it as a child too. I was very aware that I did not feel as good about my physical ability when um, I was playing with the boys as well because they were stronger, faster. And well, this brings me to something that we had talked with Dr. Glazier about from um, Coastal Orthopedics, and he was talking with us earlier about concussions Mm -hmm. and athletes who get a concussion and have to rest and then have to slowly come back into being athletes again. Um, I mean, you've been talking about one side of it, which is people who maybe haven't had as much experience with their bodies. Or they're older. Or they're older, yeah. and they just it's just something that they need to get back into. What about the athletes who have been consistently athletic, and then all of a sudden they have to stop? It's incredibly challenging. I um, never had a concussion, I don't think. Knock on wood, I don't think I did. But um, I injured my back very badly in rowing, and um, it is the hardest thing to do to be this like sort of powerhouse and able-bodied, and then to suddenly be on your 
on your in your bed for a couple of weeks because you can't do anything. Um, it would be great for coaches to be able to. I mean, I'm sure coaches. I I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm sure they all each have their way of helping the athlete through it. But it's it's about it's going to have to be about baby steps for them, and that's the hardest thing. But th such a great learning for them if they can do it. And then as they take the baby steps into being back into being full force as an athlete, they can then look over past their past experience and they can see how it got them back to where they wanted to be. But athletes aren't taught to do that. They're taught to just go as hard as they can every time. So it's that's a challenging one. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could allow athletes to be so tuned into themselves that they didn't do anything to hurt themselves? I just, it goes so, it's so counter to, to the athletic culture though. The athletic culture is all about push, push, push go faster, go faster, go faster, hit harder, hit harder. Um, and so that would be a whole cultural change to have athletes coming from what feels right in their body first. A concussion's not, a concussion is different in that they got, they had, there was an impact to their head, but, um, but, the, but the needing to slow down to come back is definitely a challenge. I think that the answer to that is it's just a challenge. It and is. sometimes we humans have to say, I don't want it to be this way, but what can I learn from this? And how can I grow from this? And how can I become a better athlete from this progression I have to go through in order to get myself back to competitive status? Well, I know that my daughter had an ACL injury last summer, and then she wasn't, actually she had it last playing lacrosse, and then all summer long after her surgery, she wasn't able to do anything except physical therapy. And this was a three season sport, um, swimming, soccer, and she had to sit out the entire sophomore season right. of soccer. Right. And, and it really impacted her in a big way. I saw her go through some significant, um, I would say it's an adjustment reaction, but other people might know it as almost a minor depression. Right. And the, th the thing with a, a knee injury, and you know, head injury, you can't do anything that is impactful anymore, right, mm -hmm. until it's healed. And I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if they could do other activities that aren't impactful. I mean, for an ACL injury, she could be doing upper body, she could be doing core, so that she feels like she's doing something and she's keeping part of her body strong. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, that, that sort of gives them a sense that they're still accomplishing something physical, even though she can't use her legs. And I think them. she did do that, I think, for her. And now she's back and she's playing, and I give her just, I'm so proud of her for all the work that she did to get to this place, because she had to deal with the psychology of it, the emotions of it. Um, I'm probably more proud of that than any of her quote-unquote accomplishments as right. an athlete. Um, but I, I think one of the things that she missed the most was the sense of, playing on a team was a right. sense of camaraderie and it's something that you can sit on the sidelines and watch your team but you're not really a part of it unless you're actually out there and it's a very interesting thing that happens when you're sort of extracted from something you've known for a long time this right. sort of crowd mentality now I, I sort of go to this philosophical place with this which I know is easier for us to have a chat about than to, for your daughter to perhaps feel but Everything that happens in our lives provides us with an opportunity for learning. So what she was able to experience was that contrast. And now when she goes back to soccer, wow, does she appreciate it? And is she grateful for it more so than she was beforehand, probably? And I don't know what her processing is with it, but, you know, you could talk to her about it. <laughs> but but it just that, that, you know, wow, you know, we just take things for granted. 
We all do. We take things for granted. And then when something is changed in our life, like a concussion and injury, now we feel kind of lost and bummed out and, oh, poor me, and this, this stinks. And, but if we can step back and go, okay, I don't want this to happen. But you know what? When I'm better and I get back into this, I am going to really be grateful for this, and I am going to love every minute of my athletic experience. You know, what's interesting is that as we get older, um, people have a sort of a similar kind of experience because I've had, um, I've had clients, men and women, who have been athletic when they were younger. Now they're getting older and their body doesn't do the same thing. So it's not as abrupt as an injury. It's more along term and incremental, but that sort of sense like, wow, I can't do what I used to do. And that's when I always tell people, well, let's honor this. Let's, let's listen to your body and let's find what you can do with where you are right now and progress you to another place. But we can't live with what was. I mean, just can't. So. Well, I think that that is a perfect way to conclude a conversation <laughs> about head games, which has been far-reaching but has had really some wonderful um, nuggets from somebody who has herself been an athlete at a pretty high level but now lends um, wisdom to people at various levels of athleticism. So thank you for coming in. We've been talking to Deb Arthur, from, who's now at The Body Architect. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 53, Head Games, airing for the first time on September 16th, 2012. Today's guests have included Dr. James Glazier from Coastal Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, Cape Elizabeth High School graduate and Harvard student Rob McDonald, and Deb Arthur of The Body Architect. For more information on our show's guests, visit doctorlisa.org. Please take a moment to like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page and let us know what you think. Also, let our sponsors know that you appreciate the work and the time and the effort that they're putting into our program. Without our sponsors, this program wouldn't exist. All past episodes of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast may be downloaded for free from iTunes. Please let us know what you think about our past shows and forward along any show ideas you might have for the future. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. Thank you for being part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. For more information on our hosts, production team, main magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.